Ladies and gentlemen, you know us, you love us. We're back again. Uh, Positive Jam, a hold steady centric podcast hosted by me, Sean Westfall, co-hosted, of course, by our usual podcast regulars, Dan Schwartzman. Say hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. And Michael Brooks Taylor. Say hi, Michael. Hello. And we have a special guest this week. We're happy, overjoyed, overwhelmed, excited to be joined by Matthew Hess, who runs the Clicks and Hisses podcast, which is probably even more uh, hold steady centric than our podcast. Matthew, thank you for joining us. We're all very, very excited and happy to have you on our podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, letting me tag along, guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so we are up to episode nine, track nine of Separation Sunday, the Hold Steady's sophomore output, the brilliant, uh, wonderful piece of, of music art that it is. And I'm just going to kick it off with, I'm just going to have uh, invite anyone to sort of kick it off with some high level observations, connections. Does this song bring up any, any fond memories, any, any references? Is just kick it off. Whoever wants to kick it off, please, by all means. We got a lot of ground to cover, so get, get us on the green here. I want to hear from Matt. Matt, I thought you uh, wanted to uh, join us specifically for this song, and I was wondering why that might be. Uh, yeah, it, it's true. I do have a, a very fond memory of this song. doesn't necessarily relate specifically to the, the content of the song itself, but if you'd like, I, I'll relay this, this quick yeah. story. Please do. So, I'll take you back to April 2017. So I had, I had just launched the, uh, the, the Clicks and Hisses site. The band had shared it later in the month of April, and it kind of you know took off a little bit. And um, around this time, the band had announced that they would be doing a three-night stand in Chicago. And this was called um, the Chicago Seemed Wired Last Night series of shows. This uh, approach to touring is is kind of representative of kind of how the whole study does stuff, you know, in, in pre-COVID times. One of these shows was at the, the Empty Bottle in Chicago, which is like this legendary, sweaty rock club kind of on the edge of West Town. They used to host like this Windy City Soul Club event, which was really fun. And this venue is super small for the Hold Steady at, at this time. It's a 300 capacity venue. And Hold Steady will generally do like a, a, a theater when they play in Chicago. So in, in June, this was scheduled for June, um, my wife, then fiance, and I had just gotten engaged and we were hosting an engagement party in Chicago for the same day as the Empty Bottle show. And this is also kind of appropriate because my wife and I had our first, you know, sloppy drunken makeout at a solo night at the empty bottle. So it was, you know, very appropriate. So I happened to have a, you know, a bunch of friends in town and some family to, to celebrate with us, including uh, my good buddy, Ray, who is the original annotator on the clicks and hisses site. So um, Ray and I got, got tickets to go to the empty bottle show and Dave Gottlieb, who's the old city manager invited us to go to the empty bottle sound check. And I had, I'd never been to a sound check in my life, you know, let alone one for the old steady, you know, one of my favorite bands. And the sound check was right after the engagement party. So um, we headed over to, to West Town, Ray and I, after, um, you know, we celebrated me and my uh, fiance's upcoming nuptials and 
Ray and I show up and, you know, I'm, I'm dressed in my engagement party outfit, douchey with my linen blazer and pocket square and loafers. And uh, we brought some cupcakes from the party and we're outside the empty bottle before we go in. We can kind of hear, you know, this is broad daylight. We can kind of hear like this music kind of rumbling out. And it was just kind of an, an odd scene. And um, Brendan Hilliard comes and lets us in. Brendan Hilliard is the kind of the Hold Steady's digital media guy. He runs their socials and he's just an all around, just really, really great dude. And he lets us in and we're like two of like a, a handful of people in this room. And the band is there and they're kind of nonchalantly rehearsing Chicago. Seemed tired last night. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a bluesy, like brawling song. And they're just, you know, kind of going through the motions of their sound check, just kind of playing it nonchalantly. And I think Craig was probably going back and forth with the sound guy. And it's just kind of a weird way to characterize the song, which is actually kind of very like, like brawling. But it's because there's just so few of us in the room, it sounds so loud. And Ray and I just kind of exchanged this look with each other, like, holy shit, this is really, really cool. And it was like kind of like this culmination of all this work we had put into the, the site as like a labor of love. And, um, you know, we, we chill at the bar you know, during the sound check. And after the, the band's done and, you know, they're happy with where the sound's at, Craig comes over and Brendan introduces us. And, you know, we shoot the shit for a little bit. And Craig mentions that, you know, you got pretty close on some things for like the clicks and hisses site. And, you know, some readings, you know, they're a little interesting and, you know, I'll be the first to admit <laughs> that there's, you know, some super hot takes on that site and, you know, it's a, a totally fair criticism or, or comment to make or observation. And he also, you know, mentioned that he felt no need to correct us, which I thought was a, a pretty cool thing for him to say. So I've, I've mentioned this in one of the annotations on the, on the site, but I think that it's kind of a testament to this, you know, this man's feel as a songwriter where he's able to create these scenes and stories that are impressively detailed in a way, but still remain rich enough that, you know, the listener can mine this, this content in their own way and, and connect to them and, you know, their own unique ways. And I've kind of come to understand that I think Craig enjoys these sorts of hot takes on his lyrics. And he's more interested in a reading that is, is personal and thoughtful versus the reading that is right or correct. And uh, so we, we took some pics, you know, parted ways. And um, Ray and I went to a, a bar around the corner to meet up with the rest of the out-of-towners and, you know, continue celebrating. And that night we went to the Empty Bottle show and it was like this super sweaty. It was so hot because everyone's packed into a 300-person venue. And this was the, the show that became known as Sleeveless Saturday. And like during the encore, because it was so hot in the venue. And I think during the encore, they actually covered a stick song. Uh, Steve Selvage, you know, one of the guitarists, cuts the sleeves off of Craig's shirt. And in doing so, he like ripped through like the entire right side of Craig's shirt. So he's performing the encore with like his arms out and half of his torso hanging out. And it, was just, it was just a lot of fun. And it was sort of, you know, compounded by the celebration of, you know, my fiance and my, my engagement and the sort of personal satisfaction of, you know, working really hard to create this, this project that people seem to be enjoying. And, you know, it was kind of validated by the, the people who we were trying to pay tribute to. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. And um, I'm sure you guys can, can relate to some of that, you know, having created this project. And it, I don't know, it was just it was a cool vibe. It was a, a good memory to have. 
You, you know, stories like that, I I think that that's just a testament to the band because I think, I mean, you go to any show and you are standing there, in, you know, sweaty and dancing and jumping around and screaming lyrics. And everyone, I think, has a story about how a whole city song changed them, transformed them. I mean, you know, we could be doing this podcast forever and ever, just inviting individual fans on and just having them to tell stories like that. And that, again, such a gorgeous, moving story. That's just cool. Yeah. What, what, what a fun connection to make. Very cool. And, and, and it's funny. I think that you, you mentioned how Craig sort of like, you know, he, he had Wonder Miter Cavill with some of the things that you might have posted on, on clicks and hisses. But great artists go, yeah, I just put it out there and invite other people to, to make their own meaning of it. And I think that's just one more testament to how gifted and wonderful a songwriter he is as well. So cool. Dan or Mike? Just want to note that this is our first true love. The first we've done, this is our 19th episode or more of the podcast. This is the first time someone's brought a sort of love story into the <laughs> so you're like this is not a podcast generally that involves a lot of love and so thank you matt i think we, we all we're long overdue to have have some some true love in the podcast and mm-hmm, um, i got you yeah especially because this song i think is a little bit it's kind of about not making connections so i think that's interesting anyway that was my one first response daniel do you want to chime in yeah, I, I think it's an awesome story. I think the it's just an example of putting a geography on the whole setting because as you're talking about the empty bottle, which I've heard over the years, I'm pulling it up on the Google Maps and trying to locate all that story. <laughs> so that's fun. And this is this song. My just high level take is this is. I think Cattle and the Creeping Things is probably my favorite Hold Steady song, and I think then there's like a constellation of three or four other tracks that are sort of at the top, Stuck Between Stations, Constructive Summer. And then I think this one is, Chicago Seemed Tired Last Night is like right there in that. It just gets, this is probably the song that if I just want to get like pumped and jacked in Pete Carroll's terms, I want to just get my job. <laughs> this is what I'm listening to. I think it hits, it's just such a hard hitting song, a brawling song as you put it, Matt. And it just does a lot with a little in terms of the scene, in terms of the religious symmetry, in terms of literary musical references. Oof, yeah, there's just a lot. I mean, I don't want to unload all these little points right up front, but there's just a lot of fun stuff in here. And it just really is like captures the whole steady. It's such a nice moment where Franz is a super important part of this band, but the guitars are super driving. And Craig is snarling and it's just, yeah, there's just a lot to this song. And so, yeah, that's where I'll start for now. So do, do, you, do you want to share, instead of sharing all of those, those little points, share one or two. I think, so one of the things I like about this is, and this is where I tie it back to Cat on the Creeping Things. There I argued that one of the things there was how the Bible stories are part of our lives. And here... When Judas went up and kissed him and I almost got sick, there's like something we all, again, I guess I knew it was coming. I guess I knew it was coming. Like we all see these things happen. These stories are sort of mixed in our mythologies. They're tied together to everything we do. And so I just think the idea that all of this is approachable and then it's refracted again through... 
when he mentions we salvage our sermons from message boards and scene reports, that to me, I hear the early internet at that point, at the time of when we're, I think you, I, I'm trying to like not date myself. I think we would more call it a bulletin board in real life rather than a message board. But, you know, maybe Craig is, because again, we talked back in the earlier episodes about how this might be said in the 80s. And so, okay, maybe there were message boards of that form, but to me, it sounds very much like 2004 and five when we have blogs starting up and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, just that sort of mashing up. To me, that's a very high, low culture mashed up together. And I really, without even getting into the music, I really just like that in the lyrics. Mm. Mike? Yeah, okay, well, first of all, Judas kissing Jesus some I was raised Catholic and I did not realize that that was a part of the story until like a couple years ago when I went and saw Jesus Christ superstar or no the other one God is it Jesus no it is it is Jesus Christ superstar okay that was the first time I and then I was like oh Craig was talking about something that actually happened in the Bible so I thought that Judas was just another character in the story that's one thing and then I wanted to ask Matt as a purveyor proprietor of a, of a message board. What does that mean to you, this bit about the gospel of um, message boards and scene reports? I, I do also find this, I think it's like the second B part that, that we're talking about here. It's really interesting because it does something interesting. And I cr- think Craig does this like deliberately with the wording kind of contrast or compare the, the scene and the message board scene, the, the band scene with the gospel, with religion. And he does this with this wording where he contrasts, you know, gospels with gossip and bar talk, sermons with message boards and scene reports, and then um, the New Testaments with this sort of like barfly bantering at this CD dive bar with bars on the windows. And even if this like appeal to the, the scene or the church, if the purpose is conversion here, you have to admit that the band is pretty tight and I was kind of th- thinking of this B part again, like on a, on a meta level. And I think this might tie, not necessarily tie indirectly to clicks and hisses, but also this, this podcast, uh, Mike, and it's at like on this kind of meta level, like think of the four of us here. We're kind of in like our little virtual tavern here. The, I don't know, the zoom room, I guess we could call it. And we've, <laughs> we've researched, you know, our, our takes for this song on, resources like forums if you guys i think you've referenced the pro boards forum on here on your last episode or the one before you know you're gonna look into wikipedia to go over some of like what these saints are referring to sean's probably gonna you know rely on some of his his literary know-how to pick apart a lot of these references which i'm actually super excited to hear more about and then we're gonna kind of broadcast these takes in this podcast format for other listeners and we may try out some of these takes on fellow fans. And even if no one wants to buy our analysis, you have to admit the band's pretty tight, right? You got to admit that the whole thing's pretty tight. <laughs> but I, I love We're this. carrying on. I love yeah. this B part, though. I think it, there's a lot going on, and it's, it's, it's good stuff. I want to quickly piggyback off that. There's a Lifter Puller song called La Carreria, which has a sort of this this is a very positive like the message boards and all this stuff is going to save us and the the end of la carreria 
has this similar sort of metaphor. He took the porches like a preacher takes the pulpit, said the nightlife is the only thing that could possibly save us. The turntables have enslaved us. The pigs have enraged us. The school buses are slave trains. The billboards are bloodstains. The kids shout hallelujah. Let the flyers be our psalms. Let the promoters be our prophets. Let the sirens be our songs. And the words came from the porches. And the kids stood just like soldiers. And so this idea of everything that the scene matters so much and that it's life or death and that it's your spiritual salvation comes out of that. I think it goes back a few years to, to soft rock, to lifter puller. And I think what's cool about Chicago seemed tired last night is that it's sort of this mission you can see Craig is on is to take that kind of griminess of lifter puller, but then flip it. So it's a little bit more positive. And I think that it really comes through there. I think that contrast is really sharp in terms of the direction the whole study is headed versus this guess, I guess raves were just raves are just not as good as like seventies bar rock for Craig. And that's like <laughs> one of the major differences for him. Yeah. Those are, those are both excellent takes. So that B section sort of makes me think of, you know, it happens right after the betrayal, right? It happens right after when Judas went up and kissed him, I almost got sick. It happens with, you know, the metaphorical, betray the literal betrayal that the characters in the narrative of the song feel. And also it's referencing, obviously, the wholesale cultural betrayal that's, you know, centered in the Bible and the New Testament. Well, of course, what happened after that betrayal was Gospels, right? <laughs> was everyone sitting down and telling their story, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, the whole bit. Good news, good news, good news, good news, which is a huge touchstone in Christianity and, and Catholicism, that there is good news despite the betrayal. So th that's, that's sort of what it made me think for, the sort of macro-level, wholesale cultural Christian Catholic reference that occurs. Yeah, so that's sort of my, my initial take from, from what Matt uh, eloquently said. So, cool. I would just jump in for the two things to follow, to not keep beating on the point that Matt made, but the Gospels were, of course, written like well after Jesus died if historically. Like, like, like 50, 60, 70 years, according to historians, yeah. And there were four different Gospels. And so they all, they like hit on the same general narration, but they're pretty distinct. Mark is super kind of cliff notesy, and John, John is sort of trippier. Excuse my like, rough <laughs> interpretation <laughs> as a non-practitioner. But so that sort of echoes again to not draw the parallel too tightly, but we're looking at this 15 years or 16 years after the fact. And right. right. And then I love the ending to that B section because, you know, for all that we talk about the lyrics, this song is so tight and this, this track specifically just so well done that it just doesn't you don't and this is for me how music needs to work even if you don't understand a single word if the music is this effective it almost doesn't matter because it's just oh, such yeah. fun like this is an instrumental with or with craig was just like speaking another language that we didn't understand i think the song would still work really nicely yeah yeah, you know, that makes me think, I mean, I may have mentioned this before. There was a band called Woo Life that released a, a, an album called Go Tell Fire on the Mountain, 
I literally cannot understand a damn word of any song on those 10 tracks, but I fucking love that album. And it's just, it's, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. So, yeah. So wh- while we're on the subject of, of musicality, I know that that's the bailiwick of, of both you and Mike and perhaps Matt. You guys want to talk about that as well? I hear Joe Perry, Aerosmith, walk ups and walk down some Chuck Berry, some just really classic chunky riffing with that sort of half step. I I just that makes me think of like big guitar God type stuff. And then, you know, the three chords, I think, are G, C and D, which, again, are just cowboy chords that ring out at the, you know, at the top of the neck. and. There's not a lot else to it. It's just a lot of fun. You just get to bang through these different chords in the progression. I, I've never tried to play this song, but just looking at the notation, it looks super fun. It's not hard and you get to just hit hit chords really hard and loud. Yeah, so I mean, to me, the riff is just like, let's go for some of that super fun Aerosmith riffage type of deal and then let's let's bang out some big old chords that anyone can play so maybe that goes to daniel's point just that you can do so much with that simplicity if you're that confident forthright and dynamic and in in the execution of it so musically i don't i don't pick up on a lot of nuance here but i think that's the point of the song and i think that's why daniel likes it it's because it's just a it's a it's there's nothing subtle it just gets you amped you know Are you calling me a simpleton, Mike? <laughs> I, I didn't. I specifically tried not to, but now that you bring it up. Yeah, it's, it's out there now. It's Dan, out there. So we, we don't have time to get into it now, but we can take talk about it later. <laughs> oh, yeah, offline. Matt, any, any, any thoughts? Yeah, for the musicology here, as you guys have mentioned, again, real, real bluesy, kind of sweaty brawling, evokes a bar room to me. And I think this is actually... The second, uh, second closest, I guess, they get to almost like a 12 bar blues format. Midnight Holler, which is like the like kind of a buried B side, is, is really close to 12 bar blues. And um, I think like Franz's piano playing deserves a little mention here. In the second verse, they kind of let him run loose with these flourishes and fills. His right hand sounds pretty busy. Yeah, I'm sweet St. Paul. Oh, that must be the hardest luck saint of them all. And then the the bridge here is interesting because they do like the guitars do like the slow pick slide into the bridge. And then um, when Franz has been with the band, it almost seems like the bridges are almost always piano centric. And this is like a big part of Franz's influence is is that uh, he is is big on bridges. He always remarks like, I'd add a bridge when they... uh, they ask him what he might have done to augment the song that he didn't write, like something from whatever. <laughs> you know, I'd added a bridge, and uh, it also has like the the clap clap clap, clap rhythm. Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, I can picture Craig doing that, doing that yeah. at the front of the yeah. stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the inverse of stuck between stations too, in the sense that, and I think I sort of touched on this a little bit last time, but. In this one, it's a very much guitar bluesy song, but then the bridge, like you said, is super piano driven and the guitars do that. I like that that pick slide in, whereas 
in the, I feel like the way the guitars sort of drive the bridge a little bit more and stuck between stations, which is a piano song. So it's kind of a nice preview of what I, what I think is what also one of the, as I said earlier, one of the heights or one of the peaks of the whole steady. And so I like that. The other music thing I'll throw in the horns here are really nice. They're not like obnoxious, but they're like, they're not standing out the way they do in hostile mass, for example, but they're very nice in the mix sort of remind me of the horns on can't hardly wait by the replacements where it's, it's there, it's noticeable, but it's not necessarily the scene stealer. They have that 20 seconds of like holding that wobbly note at the end to the horns, which is yeah, kind, kind of an out. interesting ad. So I, I think that I said a couple episodes ago that this is this song falls into an area of an, an area on the album in which the songs don't lack that strong of a chorus or don't even have a chorus at all. Is and I think I think someone took issue about this song saying this song has a chorus. What's what's I, I, I think I, I think Dan you did hooky. I said it was a yeah. song, and so I thought it was interesting. I and the point I had jotted down to bring back is that is that we eventually said this is sort of like the back half of Abbey Road, where if we take that analogy and really stick to it, this is the she came in through the bathroom window track. It still fits in, but it's much. It also could stand alone. I think this stands alone more strongly, but. If we want to draw those parallels, it's there. yeah, that's a that's a nice way of thinking about it. So, is it literary reference time? Because I've been champing at the bit. I've been. I was gonna. Of... I was gonna put you into it. Yeah, I was gonna set you up for that. I want to hear it. Thank. Let's go. Thank you very much. Who's so, Nelson so, Algren? Yeah, <laughs> my God, I'm glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Nelson Algren wrote uh, the Man with the Golden Arm. Nelson Algren was sort of a pre so a very Chicago centric writer, almost a precursor to Studs Terkel or another sort of like famous or even Saul Bellow as sort of like a Chicago based writer invested in Chicago, lived in Chicago for a long time, wrote two books that were heavily influential on both film culture and music culture. He wrote A Man with a Golden Arm, which was made into a movie, a Frank Sinatra vehicle. And basically, it's uh, the plot is that there's a, a musician who has a, a problem with his arm. He keeps sticking stuff into it. So it's sort of emblematic of the kind of thing that Algren wrote. He wrote a lot about lowlifes, and I don't mean that as an aspersion, but he wrote a lot about lowlifes in Chicago, pimps, hustlers, gangsters, things like that. The second book, and he wrote a number of books. I don't want to diminish his, his output, but he wrote a book called Take a Walk on the Wild Side, which should be a touchstone for us musically. And I'm almost certain that I read somewhere that Lou Reed admits that that, that, that book influenced uh, writing that song. Another, and again, the, the musical sort of uh, uh, connecting the dots here, you guys know that Lou Reed studied English at Syracuse University, right? He, 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 he was an English major. And in fact, his teacher, one of his professors was a guy named Delmore Schwartz, who like legendary poet, but also troubled mental health issues, drug and alcohol addiction issues. And when Schwartz died in, a, in somewhere in East Chelsea in, in the 60s or 50s, 60s, I forget, in the 50s or 60s, he, he was like, he isolated himself. He was alone. His body was un, undiscovered for like days. Like nobody knew he was gone. Just another sort of, just to, just to sort of connect 
the Nelson Algren milieu to Lou Reed to the kinds of, you know, people we're talking about that they could focus on. And again, to connect it to the song, it's a, it's about, you know, Charlemagne, it's about people who are, are addicts and, and, and having trouble and, you know, on the outs with society. So that's, that's, uh, that's who Nelson Algren is in a thumbnail way. So just to tie one more tie there, Saul Bellows, Humboldt's gift, I think is also about Delmore Schwartz. And so I, I didn't know that. That's very cool. I did not yeah, know that. I yeah. think if that's the, he definitely, one of his books, I'm pretty sure it's that one. Delmore Schwartz is the topic of, or the, the inspiration for the Velvet Underground's European Sun, which is the last yeah. track on their first yeah. album. So yeah, just yeah. all these. Your European sun is gone. You better sit so long. Your clouds treat you goodbye. And I don't know, Matt, you, you have this well annotated on clicks and hisses, but there's like another tie to the hold steady with that Nelson Algren line, right? Or another inspiration there because it came to Patty. Yes, absolutely. And um, I should note that the, and kind of going back and revisiting these annotations, like the ones from Separation Sunday, where I kind of took over as the annotator, like the, the transition is a little awkward from Ray to myself. And like, this is one I'd probably go back and, and change a little bit, but yeah. So Patty is, is Patrick Costello from the, the band Dillinger four, which he's kind of features another hold steady songs, constructive summer, you know, double whiskey, Coke, no ice is a reference to a D four song. So there actually is a little tie in here with the, the naming of this song. If you guys would like me to get into that. Yeah, a please do. Bit. So this is, I've, I've taken this from um, Tim's Twitter listening party. Are you guys familiar with no. this? I've seen it pop up, yeah. So Tim Burgess is he's, he's an English uh, musician, singer, songwriter, and the lead singer of the, the Charlatans. And I think he does this almost twice nightly, but he'll gather um, these Twitter accounts of, of musicians associated with like a classic or an indie album. And um, he gathers them together to participate in like a, a, a streaming of this album along with like an audience. And what happens is, is like these accounts will kind of tweet along with the live stream. So you can get some, some color commentary from the, the people actually created this, this art and this music. So the whole study has done this twice. They've done it with Separation Sunday and they've done it with Heaven is Whenever when they reissued it last year. So this is, this is verbatim for, for Craig. He said, we'd sort of had a bum show at the Bottom Lounge in Chicago before this. It was just kind of sleepy. But this quote came from Patrick Costello, who, who's Patty, in the lifter puller van, explaining why he moved to Minneapolis. Chicago seemed tired, and it just stuck with me. So Craig pays tribute to this moment by, by mentioning Patty in the opening lines. I should mention that Bottom Lounge is a, like a smallish venue on the edge of the West Loop. And it's like this long rectangular room, which is kind of like an odd setup. I've never seen the, the hold steady there, but it's a, it is a good spot to, to see a show. Cool. So that, that double whiskey Coke, no ice, that's, that's an all grin line, isn't it? I think both Dillinger 4 and Craig Finn referenced that, but I'm almost certain that's, they drew that from all grin. Do I have that correct? Yeah. At least that's what the that's uh, that's what yeah, the absolutely. that's what the geniuses of genius are telling me. So, yeah, is, 
No, no, no. Disabuse me of that notion. Uh, okay. No, yeah. I think I, I don't think there's any reason. If you if you saw it on Genius, then there's no reason to to doubt. No, it's it, it's believe it's, it or not believe it. <laughs> essentially, it's yeah. it's written in stamp. Yeah. As when it's when it finally gets to passes the clicks and hiss, hisses muster, then you know that it's that it's, it's legit. It's, but it's lore. But it's in mere, right. mere genius is not good. But <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if that were true, just because this idea of spirits visiting people is sort of like the the way the song is structured. That these literary forces are sort of coming to people and visiting them, at, like right. as angels would visit somebody. So that would tie that together a little bit tighter if Patty was inspired specifically by something Nelson Algren did. But I don't know. It's well, it's it's funny you 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 bring up you know being visited by spirits and all of the literary references, both ex- explicit and implicit in this song, are all people who claim to have been visited by spirits. So if you know anything about William Butler Yeats, Yeats was into spirituality and mediums like he held seances and things like that he had his wife engage in like informed spirit free writing he became really really enamored by madame blavatsky and a couple of other things that were happening at that time to turn of the century where he wanted to sort of channel and a number of, po- of his poems sort of focus on this that's one of the explicit references there's another one that's sort of implied so the line at first i thought it might be william blake do you guys know that like William Allen Ginsberg's Howl, he sort of came to write that song because he claimed that in the middle of either he was masturbating, <laughs> I, I, I get mixed up. He was either masturbating or on drugs or masturbating and on drugs, which I mean, you know, what the hell? I mean, go, but he he claimed to have been visited by this ghost of William Blake that that inspired him to write. How, which is, you know, the, I've seen the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. And if you look down in the lyrics of the song, there is a reference. Where does, where does he write it? He writes it in, when the band stopped playing, we howled out for more. Rather than yelled, and he, he wrote, as Craig wrote, howled. And I think, I think he's being intentional there. I think he's sort of referencing the inspiration for that poem being sort of a spiritual, spiritually guided there. Yeah. So just one more sort of literary reference that I wanted to, to to connect to what you were saying, Mike, about being about channeling spirits and being visited by spirits as well. And if a great spirit visits me, I hope that I'm not in the middle of, you know, <laughs> I want to be like, I want to be like having having a coffee, maybe, or, you know, or, or walking in nature with, right. with my my pants fully composed the right way <laughs> maybe going for a swim in the ocean would make sense but but yeah i mean wait you know. wait you want a spirit to to visit you in the ocean like yeah while i'm like bobbing in the waves or surfing oh, okay. or something yeah mean, you know, I mean, in the mississippi river you know yeah um, there, stand there stand up paddle boarding down the mississippi <laughs> right. river or something like that <laughs> but just not yeah I, to all spirits tuned into the podcast, <laughs> et cetera, just, just know that I prefer if you know you just gave, left me my me time and handle our business. Yeah. Choose your moment. Yeah, pick, time it well. It'll, it'll go better for both of us, I think. <laughs> Matt, do you have anything to add to, 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 sure. to, to, to spiritual visits? Um, I would like to uh, talk a bit about the, the lyrics and the bridge there that um, Sean just kind of touched on, the howled out for more. 
I had not thought of that, that reading of it to tie it back to Ginsburg's howl, which is, is pretty awesome. But that howled out for more is also taken verbatim from the lyrics, the fairy tale of New York, oh, that's which right. is referenced that's, that's right. line above yep. it. But I kind of wanted to talk a bit about this cover band here, this pretty tight cover band. So they, they play She's Got Legs, so we got ZZ Top. We got some, some Southern Blues Boogie. We got Ain't Too Proud to Beg, which is like, uh, if we're assuming this is not the TLC version, this is like kind of a, you know, a soul standard. I think what is it the the Temptations kind of have the definitive version of this, and then they got something by the Dixie Dregs, which I'm not really familiar with beyond the annotation. I know they were a, I think a Georgia-based band from the '70s. I think they were an instrumental group. Mm-hmm. And then they play Fairy Tale New York, which is I don't know. It's kind of kind of not opulent, but there's a lot of different parts to it. There's a lot of instrumentation. And it's just, it's a great song, but this cover band is able to play or fake their way through all four of these, which I, I think is just an interesting detail to throw in there. That's, that's one hell of a band. Yeah, it's a pretty tight band. That I also thought wouldn't it be like an amazing thing if the Hold Steady did a show that was all covers <laughs> of all the songs that they reference in their catalog and just like went down the lineup. I would, I mean, that would make a, I mean, it would be like a double album or something, but it would be like super, I would be so into that. I'll give you a close number. Hold on. So according, according to clicks and hisses, which again, isn't, isn't it's better than genius, better than genius. No, it's we're there. You guys are the authority. There, there are 86 songs referenced in the discography up to open door policy. So that's like 200, so that's, that's a monster of 240 so, so, minutes of music so yeah. so, so what r- r- remind me no, no doubt we've heard them in passing but what's the strangest list uh, them all uh, matt and, <laughs> you, yeah. you know we're not we're gonna shut up matt and you just list every single song just read it but what's what what's what's See the what's, podcast <laughs> what's 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 what, what what's the strangest lyrical reference strangest lyrical reference yeah. or weirdest song? Uh, we, we, yeah we, we, weirdest weirdest song songs yeah I'm just, I'm taking a quick look through <laughs> here. to fire I'm, up the database. I have to fire it up here. Um, let's see. Some of these are, I mean, some of these are pretty common. So I, I, I guess, I guess I'm using as my model in the song, Your Gold Teeth, Steely Dan references an opera singer named Kathy Barbarian. Even Kathy Barbarian knows there's one roulade she can't sing. And it's like, that's a strange reference for a jazz rock fusion band. But uh, uh, um, yeah, so I, I guess I'm sort of looking for something like that. All right, I've got, I've got something obscure here. So this is the Grifter song, She Blows Blasts of Static. I know it's a, a Memphis-based indie band. I think it's on one of the Separation Sunday bonus tracks called The Most Important Thing. Selvage, I think there's a connection between Selvage and the Grifters or something like that. Craig has said in some kind of interview or something that they're an inspiration or that he like, yeah, that he likes the band. I guess that's not contributing too much to the discussion, but I do remember that explanation that they, they got back into that, back into that when sort of Steve Selvage joined the band. So. Gotcha. It's actually part of a pretty cool verse, which also has a Ginsburg reference to bring everything full circle. But, but please, we'll, yeah, we'll, what we'll, is we'll, it? Yes, yes, give us, give us. Uh, it's a, so the 
It's I think it's the last verse of this the most important thing bonus track. So it says we've done a pretty good job of frying ourselves, I think. Then she blows blasts of static into music from Big Pink, which is of course right. reference to the band. Stumbled into the foyer and pulled the book bookshelf over. And we were drowning. And that's how we got born again. And I remember writing the annotations for these, and it almost sounded to me kind of like a hold steady, like Genesis story. (laughs) Yeah. You've got like these elements of literature. You've got like this, an indie band from Memphis. You've got music from Big Pink. And I'm sure we're all familiar with how the the band and um, the last waltzes played into the hold story, the hold steady's kind of Genesis story. Then you've got a vampire right. or you've got some yeah. some horror bram stoker and then you've got ginsburg and a bible right and bram stoker hits your neck right like a vampire would yep. and and, and hits your ginsburg hits your dick because that's of course that's what he would do and and the bible hits your head that's awesome that's fantastic yeah that's a cool verse yeah so one lyric that i think that so one lyrical phrase summer 88 the summer of 88, if you listen closely to Craig Finn's lyrics, must have been a shitty time for him because he he calls to the summer 88 a number of times in uh, Barely Breathing, which is on Heaven is Forever. Summer 88 was all heat and intensity. I saw the youth of today at the 7th Street entry. There were skins in the pit. Some of them tried to kill me. So it's funny how that, <laughs> that again, this era is a touchstone as well. I think it's just interesting and fascinating. I guess I'm getting into golden nugget territory, Matt, which if you don't know, it's sort of like our final sort of thoughts. But so I guess, and, and is it time to kick off golden nuggets here or no? I'm ready. Well, golden nugget. Yeah, I'm summer 88. I'm starting off with that because it's just, it's just, I, I wonder if, I, I, I'm going to ask Matt specifically if he knows of any anything did, did, does Craig ever talked about something happening in the summer of 1988 because he he hates that time if we just pay attention to his lyrics he hates that season specifically so that's it I am familiar with the the closing nuggets part of the the podcast and I also had summer 88 as something I wanted to discuss here and my take is a little little different Sean I don't know that I think it's a terrible time for Craig or the the narrator, or if we create that equivalence, I think it is a formative time for him and it is very impactful on him. I think I did the math once or tried to, and I think Craig was 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. So kind of a formative period in his life where I think he was kind of at the height of his hardcore interest, I I believe, but it was also kind of a formative year for him in terms of, of music and literature. So it comes up three times in the discography, as far as I can tell. As as mentioned, it's it's obviously in this track, and it's it's in barely breathing, where he talks about summer '88 being all heat and intensity. That was a historically hot summer in the Twin Cities, and the temperature broke 90 degree the 90 degree mark on 44 days. Wow. And he kind of uses this to kind of, you know, as a metaphor for like the escalating craziness in the hardcore scene, which is qualified in the verse that that Sean read. He also mentions 1988 was a long time ago. From Criminal Fingers, which I think is it was an unreleased track, and I think it was one of the bonus ones that was included in the reissue of Heaven Is Whenever. I'm not I'm not positive, and that's actually a song that's told from a, a female narrator, I believe, and she mentions Revelation Records, which was founded by Ray Capo of Youth of Today. So again, tying into the hardcore scene, and then um, another bonus track, Records and Tapes, which I think is on Teeth Dreams. 
and the, the lyric is staying out late summer 88. The narrator mentions the time when he fell in love with records and tapes and also says that around in this verse, I think he says that uh, she disappeared with some kid in the cave. He's the one who always gets her the highest kind of mm. goes all the way back into separation Sunday. So it's, I, I didn't have summer 1988 annotated on Chicago seemed tired last night, but this is one I would go back and redo to include some of this analysis. Right, right. Cool. Golden nuggets from, from Mike or Dan. I love any time they go the, that he Craig zooms out and he says that the band takes one song into another song that they did the Ben caught stealing into the dancing on the ceiling is one that I really like. They do it a couple more times. They're slipping soft rock into their set list now is sort of another one. So I just, anytime that comes up, I, I, I like that. And then cigarettes where they're supposed to be eyes. We haven't talked about that, but I, I feel like that's uh you mentioned Lou Reed. And I kind of think of that as like the pernicious influence of the kind of too cool for school, clever kid, hipster thing that like that, the, the Cigarette, like you're supposed to have eyes, windows to the soul, and so you have cigarettes because you're just like you like your parliament so much, and you like you know, you listen to Radiohead and Velvet Underground. That's why it's ironic to me that we got so much Velvet Underground reference here because I kind of think of that as being like the opposite end of the spectrum of like so, so cool and standoffish versus the sort of heart outside your chest vibe that the whole study goes for a lot. But anyway, like cigarettes in the Hold Steady's lyrical over us, like he's like Craig is actually a shockingly anti-smoking guy, I think. <laughs> There's usually something evil or bad about cigarettes. And I think that's true here, too, again. So those are my two nuggets. Right. So so uh, apparently that's referencing a, a Dylan song. Stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis blues again where Dylan talks about smoked my eyelids and punched my cigarette like Dylan Craig is referencing in that song Dylan references Shakespeare and a couple of other writers a couple of other influences and you know Craig's doing the same thing when he talks about William Butler Yeats and uh, a couple of other writers as well so any other uh, uh, thoughts Dan first that's probably my favorite Dylan song and I don't think I ever put that together until looking at clicks and hisses to tell the truth. Yeah. So, Sean's yeah. podcasts always find a way to slip their <laughs> Dylan references into our stupid little hold study. Oh yeah. And, and all I really want to do is just do my Dylan imitation. That's all I really want to do is just, yeah, just okay. talk like Dylan. Uh, yeah. baby, wanna do, I thought that D is baby thought, friends with you. I thought this had nothing to do with Bob Dylan, this band, but I was totally wrong. It's like keeps coming up over and over again. It's embarrassing. I, so I want to, I'm going to work my way to cigarettes, which is, first of all, you know, Sweet St. Paul, St. Paul, obviously Twin City, St. Paul Saints will come up in a couple tracks. Must have been the hardest. Like, that's a great verse, too. It's the only, I would argue that this song doesn't, Sean, you made the case that this is about Charlemagne. If they didn't mention St. Teresa coming up to Holly, this would seem to have nothing to do with the mythology of the Hold Steady. Like, that's the only direct reference. In right, 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 right. The song for me stands up on its own, totally removed from that. But 
we met him in some suburban St. Paul mall. And obviously, I don't think this is not a reading of this is what they want to say, but this is something where if you hear in a good lyric, you can parse out a bunch of different things if you want to. Paul Malls are, it's a neighborhood in London, but it's also a type of cigarette. And that's something that I'm, I was just, as I was listening back to it again today, I was just thinking Paul Malls is that he just really, really comes out clearly. As I'm saying it repetitively now, I'm also hearing Paul Molitor, which almost surely (laughs) (laughs) not meant here. But um, yeah. The Brewers. Yeah, Yeah, he's a brewer. Has any, I don't know who else is a smoker, but I never smoked Paul Malls. Has anyone here smoked Paul Malls? They're no, like su- think, so cheap as to be suspect is sort of my. Yeah, it's like smoking air. Them. Yeah, they have weird filters on them. They have like a weird sort of crazy sort of like geometric design in the filter that you can like see through. It's it's very strange. So and also Paul Malls are kind of like an, like an old brand, like they're not really sort of a current brand not not that i survey cigarette brands daily but it's kind of like like winston's and and virginia slims kind of like a a brand from like the 60s and 70s that nobody nobody they've either been rebranded or or uh, go, go ahead yeah you have your finger up you want to say I something have, because i pulled up the wikipedia while we were getting or at the beginning of the show it was introduced in 1899 by the black butler company in the uk in an attempt to cater to the upper class with the first premium cigarette. It's named after Paul Mall, a well-known street in London. So it's interesting that, Mike, you're, you know, and I, I, I don't smoke, I wouldn't know difference that it's a really cheap brand because it wasn't meant to be. 80 years later, it didn't shake out for them, at least not here <laughs> in the United States. They had to contend with a little company I like to call Marlboro. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it's it's like c- cigar manufacturers branding Dutch masters. Like you, you would see the cigarette box would have like a painting from uh, the, you know of of the of the the Dutch painter Rembrandt. Which was, like, yeah, Rembrandt. Yeah, yeah. Because you know that nothing's more classy and European than a cheap cigar. They actually, know? yeah, they have Yates on one of them. Yeah, William Blake is on the cover of another one. <laughs> St. <laughs> Teresa, yeah, uh, yeah. All they, they all end up on the cover of a Paul Malls uh, or, a, or a Dutch Masters <laughs> cigar box. Uh, Matt, we've been ignoring you for God's sakes. Bring some clarity to this confusion, please. Please get us off the subject. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, this is my my final nugget here, and I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if we skip ahead to the track "Citrus" off of "Boys and Girls in America." It does make references back to Chicago scene tired last night, specifically the sort of barroom congregation where Craig says, hey, barroom, hey, tavern, find hope in all the souls you gather. And then there's also a lot of Judas in, in, G- in Jesus, which um, the narrator sees in elements of the lives of those in the scene. And you know, I've had kisses that make Judas seem sincere. So there's there are a lot of kind of lyrical callbacks from that song to Chicago scene tired last night. Right, which once again, I mean, I would put Craig Finn alongside any world builder in any genre these days. Video game, comic book, you name it. He's he's up there. He's just he's great at sort of keeping keeping hyper focused on the world that he has built and continually and building it out as well. Just I just love that about him. Any more uh, golden nuggets or 
I'd say the even though I just made the argument that this doesn't tie into the narrative, it's definitely in the vocabulary of Separation Sunday. If you don't get born again, at least you'll get high as hell. And that's maybe if we want to born again and high as hell both been used at least twice leading into this song. And if you want to say, what is this song doing? It might be that it's this idea of it's a last blast for hedonism and just letting it all hang out and partying at the bar. That would be the one thing I would say there. And I guess I also had a question, which is, does anybody have a take on what what they tried to separate our girls from our guys means? Um. I, no I, I think my, Mike's got it. Looks like he's excited because he, he has a thought. Mike, you have a thought? I don't know if I'm excited to share this thought or not, but <laughs> I'm going to. Sh- OK, well, let's go for it. I thought I, you're like, I don't know. I've been out at bars with woman friends before and had some rough looking guys come up and try and sort of peel the girls off and not being sure what their motives are, but being pretty sure that their motives are not at all pure or noble, that they weren't asking for, you know, a phone number or, or to go get some coffee the next day or something. So that's what it, it evokes to me, like a pretty dangerous or, or potentially dangerous situation where, you know, you got to confront, confront these Chicagans who just like can't, can't keep themselves together enough to behave like gentlemen at the bar. So, see, well, I have to ask: Were, were these guys recognizably Irish? Were they a bunch of Irish dudes coming out? Hey they're there, always, Mr. Taylor. They're always hey, Irish. Is this your Every time, yeah, it's Irish. I own. It's only <laughs> Irish. No other type of person would ever do that. I think we can all agree, Sean. You especially, and you brought it up, so you know better than anyone. I'm um, just going to talk to your girlfriend, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> if they talk like that, I'd be a little bit less nervous, I think, if they had a, bat, a weird Irish accent like that. Um, no, in seriousness, I've never noticed any particular ethnic makeup of this type of group, type of person. They can come from any sort of background, cultural see, or otherwise. See, see I, I, I have a more innocuous reading of this line. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's massive nights. It's Catholic school dance, boys on one side, girls on the other. I guess that's sort of where I, I go straight back to to Craig's tendency to world build. That's kind of where I I, I got I, I get Irish. That. So they're like Irish chap, chaperones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's nicer. I hope that's I hope that's what happened. Well, thank you, Michael. <laughs> I think both actually work. I I, I was. Both occurred to me after I asked it, and not to. I think you guys are hitting the angel and the devil interpretation. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's right. Are are we exhausted? Have we exhausted the nuggets? Are we mined out? Has this vein been mined? Are we done here? Wait, I want to go. Okay, real quick. Yates, 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 Yates. Yates yeah. means a lot to me personally. About a year and a half ago, I read. There's this like short sort of unfinished memoirish diary thing that he wrote that's like 60 pages long and he mentions it's called, that uh, it's, it's it's called a vision right a that, vision. Right? that sounds right yeah. and and what's cool about it is it's like his poetry is i think born out of his personal experience but not necessarily so explicit about his 
ethics or aesthetics or anything like that. And what's cool about this document is that he's like, I started out, my dad inspired me in certain ways. And then I decided early on that I wanted to be a pre-Raphaelite. And so he joins the specific artistic movement, or at least like tries to live according to their sort of ethos. And what I took away from that work is that there's a lot of sort of structure and I don't know, Victorian type of everything's sort of rigid. And during, during this time and the pre-Raphaelites are like, screw that. We're going to like break all these artistic rules. Our paintings are going to look more like medieval and sort of washed out and two dimensional. We're going to do all this on purpose and our poetry and all this stuff is going to be more exploratory. And there's going to be all this imagism and the connection between painting and poetry is like a live dynamic thing. So a lot of painters and poets are sort of going back and forth among each other. I don't know how Craig Finn feels about Yeats, but he's like a perfect figure for this type of, we're going to stir up a kind of revolution. And I think this has echoes, that document has echoes of kind of almost killed me. It's like, we're standing against this tide of this cultural stuff going this other way. We don't want to be boring. We believe in passion. We believe in breaking rules and going back to something that's sort of more heartfelt and authentic. And so to me, Yates is like, he's a figure who's really important to me personally as a literary entity, but also I think he crystallizes this type of perspective on like what art should be, what life should be and what music is. And so I think that he's near the top of this song and that it's at this formative period in Craig's life, summer 1988, he met, I met, I met William Butler Yates. And then Blake is sort of in the same neighborhood, I think, but I think, but I think the William Butler Yeats and the Irish and the just hammering that over and over again, I think just matters so much that um, I couldn't leave I, without I, doing it. I, I think you're right. I can connect that even, even more closely to Craig Finn. I think Yeats started out being hyper-focused on Irish mythology and Irish culture. He was a very, very locally focused poet, if we can call all of Ireland being locally focused. But all of his subject matter came from Ireland. His references came from Ireland. He was sort of in a, in a t- attempting to sort of remake and re-envision Irish mythology to make it more digestible for a general audience. And, you know, Craig Finn's oeuvre is St. Paul, it's Minneapolis, it's upper Midwest. We've talked about this before, and it's the way Faulkner talked about Yachtabatoffa County. This is the, We're in Craig Finn's geography in the same way that Yates stayed in Ireland, at least initially, for the first couple of decades of his career. Uh, and the way that other writers have as well. Matt, I've talked way too much. You take it, my brother. Oh, I'm enjoying this. Uh, my background is not quite as literary as, a, as as your guys as a collective. So like part of getting involved on this song in particular for this podcast is I wanted to hear some of these these takes on the authors specifically. So this is this has been great to just chill and listen to. Could, um, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm gonna. I pulled one more nugget out of the mine before <laughs> before it's too late because I feel like it's funny because I'm come. I'm the one who's going the most back to the plot of the album, even though I think for me it's the least interesting, maybe normally. But Holly, we're hardly talking about her when we're talking about all these dudes who are spirits. But Saint Teresa. I feel like is worth mentioning. St. Teresa is a Spanish saint. She was based in Avila, which is not so far from where I am, but reasonably far. 
but she was sort of, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about her. I have actually a novel, which I just pulled up because I, it's like one of these very postmodern novels by Julia Kristeva called Teresa, My Love. Mm-hmm. And I haven't she's, read she's it. A, she's, a, she's a literary theorist, too. Yeah. Like I had to read her. I had to read her critical theory in grad school as well. It's something I used to write for a literature website, and I feel like the woman who ran it might have mentioned it. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And I want to impress her. I'm going to get that book. And then it's kind of sat in my <laughs> bookshelves here without ever getting read. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think St. Teresa as sort of a free spirit who toggled between vivid, visceral living her life and visceral worship of Jesus, I think is a very interesting that's obviously not a coincidental reference either. Well, wait, let's say what it is. The ecstasy of St. Teresa, the Bernini sculpture is like this very eroticized depiction of her being visited by the spirit. And it's like, so more than just like unconventional or living life's fullest, it's like a almost um, sexual like connection with God. And uh, I think that's worth knowing given the way that Holly is depicted as kind of this same, same type of entity or same type of person and that she's being visited by that spirit in particular seems, seems worth, worth Mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. She, she, she's saving herself for the scene. She's saving her sex for the scene, which she says says explicitly. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I wasn't trying to hold that. (laughs) I wasn't trying to hold that back. I didn't know it. Like, sorry. Take a look at take a look at pictures of the sculpture and uh, tell me what you think offline. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but she, her her monastery or her nunnery was uh, the Descaltes, like the barefoot, barefoot, which is you know dancing by the river, the Mississippi River at the banging camp. Oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Wow. I think we have extracted every single piece of information there's nothing left we have if chicago is is not we've we've exhausted chicago which was initially tired we've completely exhausted chicago so thank you all for joining us uh for this episode we really appreciate it next episode is why am i losing why do i brain fart on the the next song a multitude of casualties is the next song no it's the previous song it's a couple songs ago Oh, no sorry. one knows what, where what, we are. Wait, 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 wait what, 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 what's the next song? Crucifixion Cruise. Crucifixion Cruise. Sorry, I, I, I apologize. Thanks for joining us again for episode nine, season two of A Positive Jam. And special thanks to our guest, Matthew Hess of Clicks and Hisses. Really appreciate you joining us. I learned a lot from you, which is which was to be expected. So thanks again, Matthew. My pleasure. Yeah, thank thanks, you, Matt. Guys. Yeah, I just... Before we cut the tape, the clicks and hisses, like I didn't, I have not explored nearly enough on that site. As you mentioned, one of your summer of 1988, I did a search and there's like categories and there's images. It's like a really, anybody who has stuck through this episode this long and it doesn't probably already knows clicks and hisses and uses it. But if not, like it's, you'll be like a pig in mud if you go to that site. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much once again to Matt Hess for joining us on this podcast. 
Check out clicksandhisses.com if you haven't already. It really is great. Email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Tweet us at mbrookstaylor, at Sean Westfall, or at Daniel Shortman. If you're still listening, we have Crucifixion Cruise coming next week, and then have a one-week break in the schedule before we get to the last track, so just a heads up. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, share this with a friend, and hold steady until next week. to be honest.